Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. I'm wanting to talk a little bit about freedom and the Christian life and what we've got. So in John chapter 10, verse 10, the King James Version says, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I just want to get uh, the amplified version here. I like how it puts it. So, Hebrews, John chapter 10, verse 10 says in the uh, Amplified, the thief comes only to, or in order to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Okay, so there's a very, it's very descriptive of what Jesus came to give us, abundant life. But what I want you to see is, yes, you know, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First thing we've got to see here is that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God doesn't. And so this straight away clears up um, the, an issue that a lot of people have with God. Why did God kill so-and-so? Why did God allow this to be stolen? Why did God allow that? If it's bad, it's the devil. If it's good, it's God. Okay, um, so you can, you can pull that from that verse, but what this verse is more appropriately speaking about is the law and the system of the law. And it's saying that this, this system is what, uh, um, this religious system is what kills, steals, and destroys. You know, so often we, we kind of just look at the devil and blame him for kill, kill steal, destroy. But it's not necessarily him, it's sometimes just our system of thinking, we're thinking religiously. We're thinking that between me and God, there's this big chasm, and I've, as a Christian, now go to try and get closer to God. You know, we, we, we spoke about it probably in week five or six or something like that, but uh, of a reality of Christianity. But the reality of our Christianity is that you can't get closer to God than you currently are. As a Christian, the moment you say yes to Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6.17, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him. Okay, if you've got a Bible, look with me at that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, because this is quite something. Now, now we're looking at how religious system can steal from us, can kill us, and can destroy us. Okay? A religious system. Okay? It's, um, we're not talking about the, the, the devil right now. We dealt with that last week. He does come to steal, kill, and destroy as well. But this verse is talking about a religious system which seeks to strangle the life out of you. Okay, There's no abundant life in religious system. Religious system would be, what do I need to do to please God or appease this angry God? He's not angry, but we sometimes have a picture of an angry God. And so we feel like we need to please and appease. And what does that equal? Performance. And now you're on this treadmill of going nowhere but working up a sweat. Okay? That's not the kind of exercise you need to do. Okay, so this religious system comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things a religious system would tell us 
is that the moment you make a mistake, the moment that you sin, God's gone. Why? Because a holy God cannot fellowship with an unholy man. Okay, so, uh, you know, who will ascend the, the hill of the Lord? He, but he only that has clean hands and a pure heart. So you can't expect to fellowship and have relationship with God unless you're squeaky clean. Okay, I, I don't believe that. <laughs> you know, I believe uh, that's a Psalms uh, uh, which is saying that, and I believe Jesus fulfilled that by making us squeaky clean so that we can have 24-7 communion with the Father, relationship with the Father. Okay, so now you're one with Him, the Scripture says in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.17. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Look at the next verse. Flee fornication or shun sexual immorality. So, you know what this is saying? Paul's writing to believers and he's saying, you're one with the Lord, therefore, don't live like an unbeliever. Don't, don't live in sexual immorality, for example. But he's not saying, stop that so that you can be one with the Lord. He's saying, because you're one with the Lord, stop that. The religious system of... You know, I remember sitting in a service years back and they were teaching through a series on this where as soon as you make a mistake, you've got broken fellowship with God, He, he disappears, and now you've got to repent and you've got to you know, grovel and you've got to try and get Him to come back and plead with Him and all of this. And honestly, I just had a revelation of grace and that God's not dealing with me according to my sin because He's already paid for sin. And now he sees me as holy, he sees me as righteous, he sees me as blameless. We'll look at some verses with that just in a minute. But now, I just got this revelation of God's not dealing with me based on my performance, he's dealing with me based on Jesus' performance, and my faith in Jesus' performance. And I was sitting in that service nauseous, physically, because I was like, I, like this is, I, I, can't, I, I can't stomach this anymore. I, you know, the, the, this isn't a good diet. For me to now sit and, and receive this, this toxic message of God's angry with you because you made a mistake. God's not angry with you. Your sin's been dealt with. Sin's no longer an issue between God and us. It still causes issues in our lives. But look here. You're still one with the Lord, even in a bad state. Look at verse 16, just before verse 17. <clears throat> what? Know ye not that he which is joined unto a harlot is one body, for, the two, uh, for he said the two shall be one flesh. Now, he's talking about sexual morality. He's writing to this church which is completely messed up. You know, sleep, there's incest going on, there's sexual immorality, there's greed, there's all sorts of things going on in the church of Corinth. And in the middle of all this, he reminds them of their union with Christ. Hey? He says, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse, nine, verse 18 is flee sexual immorality. Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, which is your, uh, which, and in your spirit, which are God. So he's saying, hey, as a Christian, you don't automatically glorify God. As a Christian, you're one with Him. As a Christian, he's, you're, you're His dwelling place. He's not living in a building. He's living in you. And so He, you know, the, the, the reality of this is, is that wherever you go, He has no choice but to go. 
And because of that, Paul's writing and he's saying, hey, don't forget who you're carrying. Don't forget who's with you. Therefore, flee sin. He's not saying stop sinning so that God can come. He's saying God came, God stayed, now you stop sinning. That's a good motivation to know God's with you. If you have a revelation of God's with me, it'll help you in temptation. Amen? So, the, the, a religious system of thought that when I make a mistake, God goes. Can you see how that would strangle the life and joy out of your Christianity? That thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy the joy that you could experience in your relationship with God. Because now, every time you make a mistake, you're walking on eggshells. Wow, what do I need to do to get right with God now? Let me say it like this. As a Christian, you cannot get right with God. Because you are right with God. Michael, be white. He can't be white, he is white. Okay? Michael sits. Michael sits. He can't sit. He's sitting. A Christian trying to be right with God is exactly like that. You're already right with God. Now, in your heart, you might have, have, have blocked something, and in your heart, you might feel like you're not worthy, but the truth is, you are worthy. Okay? And, and because you feel unworthy, you're not experiencing the good things that you can in your relationship with God. But that's, that's where repentance is necessary. Okay, Repentance as in, change your thinking. That's what it means. Repentance doesn't mean stop sinning. Stop your actions. Repentance is a focus on the heart. Repentance is a focus on the mind. Change your way of thinking. Look, at, look with me at Mark chapter 1. Yeah, another thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the wrong definition of certain words. <laughs> like repent. We have this understanding in a religious system of, you know, when I make a mistake, I've got to repent. And what we feel repentance is, is being very sorry. Crying about whatever you've done, and then turning in the opposite direction and forcing yourself to stop it. Yeah? But the problem with that is, is that you can stop an action and still have it in your heart. And what did, what did Jesus do? He took the law to the heart level. He said, hey, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. If you have hatred in your heart towards another, then you've, you've murdered. So the issue is not the physical. The issue is the internal. What's going on inside? And that's what we've got to focus on. Okay, so when we have a, an external view or a definition of things, it can cause us to head in the wrong direction. Like repent. Okay, look at what Jesus says about repent. Mark 1.15. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. <laughs> I like that. He's saying... Stop thinking like you're thinking and start believing the gospel. Repent. Come out of unbelief and come into belief. Come into faith. Believe what? Believe the gospel. Believe in the goodness of God. Believe in what He's done for you and is freely offering you. That's how we repent to experience life. And life abundantly. 
But when, we, when we're, we're focused on the external and not the internal, what happens? The life is strangled. Because the thief is coming to steal, kill and destroy. You know, let's, let's go to John chapter 8, verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him. What do you call a Jew who believes in Him? Oh, a Christian. <laughs> if you... Now, now, they weren't born again yet, but you know what I mean. They were believing that He's the Messiah. And He says to them, If you continue in My Word, then you are My disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay? So, truth is what we've got to be embracing if we want to be experiencing freedom in our lives. If there's an area of your life where you're not experiencing freedom, I can guarantee you it's purely an issue of belief. It's purely rooted in uh, what do you believe. There's something that you believe that's not right. And you know what? The problem is, is for many of us, we assume that we know everything. <laughs> okay, maybe not, not, not you guys, but I know sometimes I, I kind of get into that position where I think I know everything, just personally, not when I'm in dealing with other people, but I'm like, obviously it's not, uh, not a lie that I'm believing which is causing this problem in my life. Or, you know, take healing for example. You know, I've taught for hours and hours and hours on healing and I've ministered to people healing all over the world. And, you know, I, I remember one of the, 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 the first miracles that comes to mind is I had a word of knowledge in London when I was ministering there. And I said, someone's eyesight is deteriorating in the middle of the message and afterwards a bunch of people came forward. But this one girl who came forward, I prayed for her. And a year later, I met her mother in Zimbabwe and she came up to me and said, you prayed for my daughter a year ago in London and she's, she was uh, getting thicker and thicker glasses. Now she doesn't needing and then when i am uh, struggling with something and resisting something i'm like but i've written a book on this <laughs> but i've i've preached probably more than 12 hours on this you know i've ministered to people and seen them heal and you know what i have to do every single time is assume there's something i don't know <laughs> That, 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 that either something I don't know or I need to sow that word, that seed in my heart again. I need to go and focus on it and receive it with a freshness. Because faith comes by hearing, not heard. And a religious system will make us think that I've heard that before. And if we come with that attitude of pride that I've heard that before, it chokes the life out of you. And it prevents the Word from doing what it needs to do in your life. We've got to approach the Word with a freshness in not assuming you know what it says, but Holy Spirit, speak to me. So Jesus is saying here, if you continue in my Word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the lies that you believe are what are holding you in bondage, and the truth that you don't know, when you come to know it, it sets you free. It causes you now to walk in freedom. And so there may be an area of your life where you actually need to go and sit down and pray or speak to myself or another leader, someone like that, who can speak into your life and you go, there's a truth that I'm missing in this area of my life. I don't know what it is. Holy Spirit, reveal it to me. Or Shane, reveal it to me. You know, tell me what it is so that I can walk in freedom. 
And then I'll ask the Holy Spirit. Or you ask someone else to ask the Holy Spirit. Pray about it. And then dig into the Word and you come to know a truth. You know, Jesus is truth. So all we're saying is you're coming to know Jesus more. Because the more you know Jesus, the more freedom you're going to experience. It amazes me how people think they've got a great relationship with God and their life is a mess. Or they're a mess. There's grace. But if everything's a mess, maybe you don't know Jesus as well as you think you know Him. Maybe. I would rather assume that I'm the problem, not God. (laughs) The reason I'm not experiencing healing in this area or freedom in this area or whatever is because I don't know something. It's not God withholding. He's not the one who's, who's broken. I, I, I'm the one who's, who, who, you know, in my actions and my life is broken. Obviously not in my spirit, but you get what I mean. I'm the imperfect one apart from Christ. Christ can't be apart from Himself, so He's always perfect. Amen? So we've got to, we've got to be seeking truth. Look at Matthew chapter 11. And we'll see what uh, Jesus says about uh, religious systems. You know, religious system can also be one. You know, most religious systems would, 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 would operate on uh, the virtues of guilt, shame, and condemnation. They're not really virtues, are they? <laughs> guilt, shame, and condemnation. You know, I, I, I've spoken to many uh, uh, former Catholics, and they say that those are the things which keep them going. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. You know, that's what kept them on the straight, straight and narrow. You know, that's how their families operated. That's how the church operates. We shouldn't operate like that. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Not towards each other, and obviously not in assuming that's how God's treating us. You know, in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Another translation, I love it, it says, There is no shred of condemning evidence that can stand against you. Why? Is it because you have done everything right? No, it's because you're in Christ. That's the only reason. You know, apart from Christ, you're condemned. I mean, that's what, what, what Jesus said in the Gospels. He says, you know, those who believe, or who don't believe, will be condemned, already condemned. So if we're not believing, if we're unbelievers, we're condemned already. Because we haven't believed in Jesus. But as soon as we believe, we've moved from condemnation to Liberation, just because it rhymes, <laughs> to liberation, but we've moved into a place of freedom where we're not condemned. We'll talk a bit more about condemnation in a bit, but look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I want to read from the message. Are you tired? Worn out? Now, I love this. I'll read the King James for a second. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We love to use that verse inappropriately. Anybody tired here this evening? Come to Jesus, He's going to give you rest. Amen, He does that, okay? It's, it's, it's not wrong. Jesus, I'm so tired, refresh me. You know? It's not wrong, but it's not right. <laughs> the biblical uh, 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 context here of this verse is well, how the message brings it across. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? It's talking about trying to please and appease God because of religious system. Christianity is not religion. Christianity is relationship with Jesus, and now you've got His Spirit living in you. It's a oneness with Him, a union with Him, which lasts for eternity. We mustn't see our Christianity as trying to follow Jesus. 
There's an element of truth in that. But if that's what you, if that's your slogan for your Christian life, then, then it can bring a lot of deception with it. Because now there's an effort that you have to go through to follow Jesus. When you, you shouldn't see yourself as separated from Him. The disciples followed Jesus until He left. And then He came back and He dwelt in them. In spirit. And then they weren't following Jesus. Jesus was going wherever they go. So, you know, the Christian life is Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. If I'm living for Jesus, there's a lot of effort. But if I'm living realizing that Jesus lives in me, and I'm just responding to Him, the pressure's off, and there's an overflow. It, 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 life then just becomes an overflow. So it says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. When we're tired, because we're, anyone who's trying to please God, trying to appease God, trying to earn something from Jesus, you end up tired. Amen? That's when people kind of fall off the radar sometimes and they kind of don't want to kind of interact with other Christians or they don't want to be in church because they feel like, this is just too much work for me. And then they, they kind of just want to disappear. The interesting thing there is, what is the invitation? It's an invitation. What is the invitation from Jesus? It's, come to me. And when we get to that place, what do we do? Go on holiday. Go for hike. <laughs> Go watch movie. <laughs> Whatever your fix is, you do something else. And those things are nice, but it's a band-aid on an amputee. We're trying to fix a bigger problem with something that's not going to fix the problem. Because you go on holiday, think, think about your dream holiday. Let's make it three weeks. You go on your, let's make it a month. You go on your dream holiday to wherever it is. In the whole, like opposite side of the world, your perfect holiday destination, perfect extramurals or none or whatever. Room service if you want that, or whatever you want. Imagine, a whole month, you come back and the problems are waiting for you. You come back and the problems didn't deal, the, 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 the same problems. And the thing is, is if you decide to go and live on holiday, those problems will start to surface there as well. <laughs> you can't run away from your problem. Okay, so this is the thing. When we're tired and worn out and burned out on religion... We should be looking to Jesus for that refreshing, not gym, not, not, not the hike, not, not whatever your, your fix is. Okay, those things can help, but it's just a, a momentary fix. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you think you know how to rest. <laughs> you know, hammock on the beach. So, that sounds amazing right now, but... <laughs> You know, you can, you, can, you can lie there in your hammock on the beach, in the Maldives or wherever you want, and uh, have the same internal struggles that you're having right now because you didn't deal with it properly. How do you deal with the problems? Go to Jesus. So go on holiday, take Jesus with you, deal with it on holiday, you enjoy your holiday, and you come back and your problems aren't uh, as bad anymore because you, you, you've been dealing with it with Jesus. Amen? We found a middle ground there. <laughs> so I'll show you how to take a real rest, Jesus says. This is the message translation. Walk with me and work with me. So he, watch how I do it. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that, that, that whole stretch because he's saying, walk with me. He's not saying I'm going to carry you. And then he says, work with me. He's, he, he's saying that there's still work to be done. Rest doesn't mean you're not working. There's still work to be done. What is the work? It's not working to earn something. It's working because we're part of the family business. Because we're part of a bigger picture. It's working as, a, as a, a response to God. Thankfulness. Now I want to be part of the bigger picture. I want to add value to this world by sharing Jesus in me with others. Okay, But he's saying don't do that in your own effort. Work with me. You've got to do it with him if it's going to work properly. John 15, Jesus says, Apart from me you can do nothing. And yet a lot of us are trying to do a lot of nothing without Jesus. And it just tires us out. It, it makes us weary. It makes us heavy laden. He says there, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I'm sure there's many people here tonight that want to live freely and want to live lightly. And the only way to do that is to come to Jesus. Yeah, he, he wants to give you wisdom for your business. Wisdom for your life. He wants to, he wants to do life with you. But many of us are just kind of treating Christianity, our relationship with God, like a religion. You know, it's, it's what God, Christianity is what God has done for us in Christ to make us acceptable. It's not us making ourselves acceptable. But religious systems, which steal, kill and destroy, would tell us, how are you cleaning up before you come to God with that request? How are you cleaning up before you... You know, pray. Before you're expecting that miracle, what are you doing to deserve it? <laughs> and it's like that will choke the life out of you. It's going to burden you. And you're not going to get fruitfulness out of that. Because fruitfulness comes from intimacy with Jesus. Jesus didn't go anywhere. So all you need to do is turn your attention on Him. And focus in on Him. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Remember, we're looking now at... Uh, how these religious systems seek to kill, steal, or kill, steal, and destroy in our lives, and how we need to move away from them. Because a religious system will, will, will have a separation focus. What, that's one of the things. You're far from God, God's far from you, you need to move closer to God. Another religious system has a visitation mentality God, please come visit us. You know, God's somewhere and we, we need to sing louder and, and dance harder and then he pitches up and then we can enjoy fellowship with him and then he goes. It's like, he doesn't come and go. That's a, a, a Genesis to Malachi mindset. <laughs> it's a before Jesus mindset. Okay, Jesus doesn't come and go. The Spirit doesn't come and go. The Spirit came, the Spirit stayed. And we can experience more of the Spirit, more of his presence sometimes more than others, but it's not according to did he pitch up or not, because he's here. I don't remember who the first person in the room was. I was one of them. But whoever was, they brought Jesus here. Well done. <laughs> and then when you guys all came, you brought more of him with you. And so there's enough Jesus in this room <laughs> to, to get whatever, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished this evening. Not just because I'm here, but because we're here. Okay? 
So, you know, this separation and this visitation mentality, we need to eradicate it so we're not being robbed of the joy of our salvation. So Hebrews chapter 10 deals with a lot of this, this religious system. It says, for the law, verse 1, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of these things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats take, could take away sins. Now this is interesting because he's saying the sacrificial system, that religious system... In a way, it was broken in that it could not deal with the sin problem. It was kind of just like a temporary solution. Okay? And it, the, the writer here says that if it could deal with the problem, the sin problem, if it, if it could, then it would have purified the worshipper. It would have purged the worshipper. It would have made the worshipper, the person bringing the sacrifice, holy. Okay, but because the sacrifice was not perfect, it couldn't accomplish its goal. That's why they had to bring the sacrifice the next year, because it didn't make, uh, it didn't cover it. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't do what it, it, it was intending to do. Okay, but then you go, you go, um, scroll down or page over to verse ten. Uh, and it says in verse 10, By that will we have been sanctified, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So now it's saying there was a sin offering which was perfect. Jesus. And because Jesus is the perfect sin offering, now you are made holy. So you don't have to bring an offering. Okay, don't bring a bull or a goat or whatever you want to bring. Bring money, it's fine. But don't bring, <laughs> don't bring a bull or a goat. We're not living on farms, <laughs> most of us. The point is, is that Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. You, know, you, you, could, you could look at it like this as well. That the perfect sacrifice was made on your behalf. The perfect sacrifice was made on your half. So, as a Christian, then it doesn't matter like what demonic sacrifices are made against you, because the ultimate sacrifice is standing for you. Now, if we if we match this verse ten up with verse uh, uh, two, it says, "The worshippers once purified or made holy would have no more consciousness of sin." A religious system will always make you aware of sin. A religious system will always remind you of sin. A religious system will always get you focusing on sin. When sin has been dealt with, John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist, Jesus called him the greatest prophet that ever lived, John the Baptist. So the greatest prophet that ever lived <coughs> says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay? If I take away your phone from you, do you have your phone? No. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, 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 so he's dealt with sin. 
1 John 2 verse 2 says, And He, Jesus, is the, the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but the sin of the whole world. So now, sin is no longer the issue. The issue is, do you believe in what was offered for your sin? And have you received this, this, this gift of eternal life or not? It's unfortunate that when we witness to people, share the gospel with people, we often make it about sin. Because in, in actual fact, sin has been paid for. So it's not about what they're doing that's wrong. It's about what they're believing that's wrong that's causing them to perish. Because for God so loved the world that He sent Jesus, not so that people could stop sinning. So that all who believe wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. The issue God's been dealing with forever is not individual acts of sin, but what do you believe? Because what you believe will determine what you do, but God's interested in the heart. Man's looking at the outward appearance. God's looking at your heart. Because He knows that from your heart flow all the issues of life. The issues that you've got in your life are because of what's in your heart. What's your focus? Okay, so I, I really love this and I, I keep trying to get you, but then you keep pulling me off track. Verse 2. It says that if the worshippers once purified, once made holy, they would have no more consciousness of sins. As a Christian, you should not be aware of your sin or the sins of others. We need to stop being sin-focused, sin-conscious, and start being Savior-focused, Savior-conscious, righteousness-conscious. Because of His sacrifice, and you've put faith in it, you are now right with God. You're not trying to get right with God. You are right with God. 100% right with God, 100% of the time. On your worst day, you're 100% right with God. The same way that Jesus is right with God, you are right with God right now. Do you want to look at it like that? But what you need to see there is that it doesn't fluctuate. If this is the righteousness scale, you know, the, the more good you do, it doesn't change it. The more you, bad you do, it doesn't move. Now if we had a scale like this, and we put your, you on this end, righteous-wise, your spirit, and we put Jesus on the other side, it would do that. It would balance out perfect. How can I say that? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. So the righteousness that we have, the rightness with God, the right standing with God, has nothing to do with our effort and everything to do with what we've received because we believed in Him. And the moment we believed in Him, we were absolved, we were cleansed, we were declared innocent, and now we are 100% right with God, 100% of the time, you are never in God's bad books. You are always in His good books. Because you're His child. And He loves you. So Hebrews chapter 10, then goes, uh, verse 10 we read it, and says, By that which, which will we are as not sacrificed, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. So once and for all time you have been made holy. You can't become more holy than you are. You can live like it. Amen? 
You, you, can, you can start to talk more holy, you can start to act more holy, but inside you are holy. You are righteous. Ephesians, I think it's 4.24, says that we should put on this righteousness. Put it on. Meaning, you've got it, but now start to demonstrate. Let people see who you are. Let people see that Jesus is in you. If you go further down to, to, to some more verses there, I've said this a couple times, verse 17 is one of the most unbelieved scriptures in the Bible. It says, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Most Christians don't believe that, and you know it because of the way they pray. <laughs> oh God, please forgive me. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, it's not wrong to say sorry. It's not wrong to say, God, please forgive me. But it's wrong to keep begging Him because He's already forgiven you. This says, He will remember it no more. Which means, He doesn't remember your sin. And you praying about your sin continuously doesn't remind God of your sin, but it's reminding you of your sin. And what you and I need to do is forget our sin and start to remember Jesus in us, our hope of glory, and start to focus in on our rightness with God because the more righteous focus we are, the more bold we're going to be in life. Uh, 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 I think it's Proverbs 28 says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. You, know, you, you can't be bold if you don't know your true identity. If you're focusing on your goodness, if you're focusing on what you're doing, then, you know, and, and, and am I good enough? And, and you're trying to get up this righteousness scale all the time. You know what's going to happen? You'll always find someone who's better than you. <laughs> and you'll always feel like you haven't done enough. And so, you know, you, you, you fasted three days. But once the three days is done, you feel like, I should have fasted four. So the next time you go for, for a week, and it's like, you could have fasted for three weeks, actually. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just never good enough. But we need to see ourselves through the eyes of God, which is, you're good enough, you're perfect. He's not remembering your sin. Now go, let's look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read this from the Passion and from the King James. King James says, therefore being justified, made right with God. You know, justified can be defined as just as if I've never sinned. So I've been made right with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I've been justified by faith, and now I have peace with God. Okay? I like how the Passion puts this. It says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and He now declares us flawless in His eyes. This is how God sees you. Flawless. God sees you as flawless. You don't see you as flawless, I know. Maybe the person sitting next to you doesn't see you as flawless. Now, some people sitting by themselves are happy. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes like, the problem is the people in our lives. They keep reminding us of, of how uh, 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 flawed we are. You know, and in that situation, you need to guard your heart in a sense of not push people away, but what the seed that they're putting into your heart, you need to just say, I'm not going to receive that in my heart. And you need to go and immerse yourself in the truth of the Word and sow the seed of the, the Word, the truth, in your heart so that you can experience the fruitfulness of this. Okay? But God sees us as 100% right with Him. Back to Hebrews chapter 10. 
I'm going to show you something from uh, uh, further down here. In the New King James, it says, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. Now this is all Old Testament language. This is all tabernacle, this is all temple language, this is all Jew, Jewish language. Okay? And he, he's, he's writing to try and help the Jewish mind come from Judaism to Christianity. Okay? And, and what I like in this verse is that he's using the language to say, hey, Jesus has made a way for us to enter into this Holy of Holies. Now the Holy of Holies, this, this holy place, the, the priest would go in there once a year. Common, the commoners wouldn't go in there. <laughs> okay, we, we wouldn't be able to get in. It was the priest offering a sacrifice on our behalf. Yeah, but we know from, from the Gospels that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus was uh, uh, on the cross. The Bible says that the earth shook and the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. You know how high that, uh, uh, that temple curtain was? 20 meters high. It's a bit higher than the ceiling, I think, or maybe the same height. But it was 20 meters high and it was 6 inches thick. And so, no man could have torn that, to, that, that, that curtain. You know, uh, biblical scholars who, who, who comment on these things say that you, know, you would have had to have horses pulling that direction and that direction to try and tear that thing. And it still might not have torn because it was so strong and thick. And yet God was saying, you can't confine me to this anymore. Because the temple curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. So it was a declaration from God to man that I'm breaking out of your little box that you've made for me here. And now he's not dwelling in a place like that. He's dwelling in us. So we're not trying to enter into the holy by the blood of Jesus. As Christians, we've entered into the holy by the blood of Jesus. And the holy has entered into us. Now we're one with Him. We're always in His presence. You experience His presence more sometimes than others because of what you're perceiving. Sometimes you feel like God's a million miles away when He hasn't even left. And He's sitting there going, Here I am, here I am. <laughs> I've shared this before, but I remember uh, really just sitting down after experiencing the presence of God for about two weeks when I was on a trip. I got back, this was 15 years ago or so, and I remember sitting on my couch in my room and going, God, where are you? I don't feel your presence. <laughs> should I have stayed where I was? Or should I, you know, like, did I make a mistake in coming back here because I don't feel you anymore, Lord, where are you? And I was so grateful that I heard the Holy Spirit in that moment say to me, you've got a choice now. <laughs> He said, you can choose to believe my word which says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, or you can seek another experience. And your life will be up and down continuously. I said, I don't want up and down. I'm just going to choose to believe your word, and I'm going to go out. And now I know God's with me whether I feel Him or not. It's nice to feel Him, doesn't matter if I don't. Because I know that I know that I know that He's here. So in Christianity, there's no separation. And yet the religious system will try and get you to see God as somewhere far and you somewhere down there and you need to work your way to Him. That mindset strangles the life out of you and you need to let go of that mindset. Repent and believe the gospel because the gospel has now brought you very close to God and made you one with Him. Okay? 
There is no separation between us and God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Feels like we're starting the series again. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Now this, this, is, this just describes what we've got. That's why I wanted to finish off with this. Paul's praying for the believers and it's amazing because he's not praying that God would move in our lives. He's not praying that God would visit us. He's not praying for a a revival in that sense. He's praying for a revival in the sense of us realizing what we've got. It's like you feel far from God, all you need to do is realize and recognize that He's here. Recognize the truth. When you come to know the truth that He's here, you'll be set free from trying to get closer to Him. Because you can just relax now. You know that He's here. Okay, so, 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 so with this, He's praying for us to have a revelation of something. Okay, and let's just look at, look at it again. It says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Or the spirit which brings revelation and, and, knowledge, and, and wisdom. The, verse 18, That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of His calling and the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So He's praying that there would be light thrown on our understanding. That we would have a revelation, that there would be no dark corners in our minds. But that there would be a full revelation of what we've got. No more shadows. Okay? Only reality now. That's what the light brings. The light deals with shadows and brings reality. Concerning our knowledge of Christ here. I like how it says, the hope, not of our calling, but the hope of His calling. We've got to ask ourselves, as well, where's this, these riches that he's talking about? Some of you want that, eh? <laughs> the riches is not in heaven. The riches is not in the man of God only. The riches is not anywhere but in the saints. That's a, a Christian. So when we're praying, we mustn't be looking for something external. We must be looking to what's in us already, what we've got. What is this inheritance that he's talking about? It's not gold and diamonds, unfortunately. It's something much better than that. Okay? We look at Galatians. We've, we've looked at these verses. Galatians 3.14 especially. And it shows that the promise is the, the Spirit living in us by faith. So this is what we've got, is the Spirit living in us by faith. And now he goes on to describe the Holy Spirit living in us by faith. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power... To usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is saying you've got resurrection life and power living in you and he's called the Holy Spirit. So when we have an understanding of this, we're not trying to get the Holy Spirit to come, but we've got this Holy Spirit. It deals very quickly with a religious system that seeks to destroy us. Of separation of performance and and it gets you to focus in on the goodness of God where he's already given to you whether you've performed well or not he's already given to you the Holy Spirit the power here 
I like this. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power? Okay, how do we know that it's talking about the Holy Spirit? Because of that word power there. It's the same word power, dunamis, which is used in Acts 1a, which says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So now he's talking about the Holy Spirit in us as believers, and he's saying, what is the exceeding greatness? He's talking about a huge, something big, that's, it, there's a magnitude to it that we don't really get to focus on. We don't focus on often. Okay? Religion, once again, sees God as far, and I'm doing my best to live for Him. Christianity is God coming to live in us. And live through us. And this is what this is describing. Now we've got an exceeding greatness that's living inside of us. We've got a, 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 um, a mighty power that lives in us. And there's a lot more we could get out of that. We've got 26 lessons on that. But, uh, sermons. But go to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. And this is saying what I've been saying. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me living for Jesus, it's Jesus living in me and Jesus living through me. That's the Christian life. And it does lead to us living for Jesus, but not for brownie points and not for earning anything, but it's because we want to honor him with our lives. And so there's freedom for us in realizing that this Christian life isn't about trying to adhere to a system. When we smell the religious system in our lives, we, we, we need to identify that, okay, there's a lie that I'm believing somewhere here. Holy Spirit, guide me in truth. Show me what I, am, what I don't know. Show me what I should know. And then I embrace that truth and it causes me to walk in freedom. And, you know, when I was preparing and going through this, I really felt like one of the key truths was the, the, the condemnation issue. Was this issue of many feel condemned. And because they, they, they feel condemned, it's holding you back from enjoying your relationship with God like you could. What does it mean to feel condemned? As a Christian, you shouldn't know. <laughs> As a Christian, you should have to go and look up on the dictionary. In the dictionary and see, what is condemnation? Ah, oh, it's being unfit for use. Imagine feeling like that. Imagine feeling unworthy that I'm not fit for use. But the reality is, is the majority of us, if not all of us in this room, understand and identify with, being, with the feeling of feeling unfit for use. We know what it feels like to, to look down on ourselves or feel like God's looking down on us or something like that. When the reality is, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are free from condemnation because of what Jesus has done for us. And now we are set free because we are righteous. We are right with God. Most of what we do in Christianity worldwide seems to be an effort to try and get right with God. When He, he came down in human form, to make us right with Him. All we do is repent and believe the Gospel. Change our thinking from I need to do it to He's done it. And I just believe it. And now I'm walking in it. Amen? So let's close our eyes. Father, I thank You that we are 
free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from shame. Thank you, Father, that there, there is no shred of condemning evidence against us because we're in Christ Jesus. I just want to, while our eyes are closed, just, just <clears throat> make, give this opportunity. You know, if, we, if you've never received Christ, if you've never made a decision for yourself to believe this gospel and have Him come and live inside of you, then you are condemned. You need to make that decision to, to believe and receive. You know, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to make you right with Him. And you need to basically just confess that He's Lord. And then you're saved. And then you're not condemned. It's very simple. It's just a case of, I believe the gospel, that Jesus made me right with God. Now, if you've never made that decision, I'm assuming most of us, if not all, have, but I don't want to leave without giving an opportunity. If somebody here has never made that decision to become right with God by faith in Jesus and what He's done, just raise your hand. I'm the only one looking. But just raise your hand and say, I, I want to pray, that, uh, pray with you to become right with God. Anybody here who's saying, I've never made that decision? Going once, going twice. Then I really believe that there's a number of us as believers this evening which are struggling with guilt, shame and condemnation. When, you, when you've got self-condemnation, you are sending your immune system a message that you are the enemy. And that's possibly why you have some of the, the issues that you've got in your physical body. Sickness is the result of you telling yourself that you're the enemy. And then your body starts to fight against itself. If you're in a place where you're like, ah, I'm struggling with guilt, shame, or condemnation, then I want to invite you just to stand where you are, and I just want to pray over you. Because God wants you to step into a, a, a greater freedom this evening that you haven't experienced previously. I, I straight away feel like, 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 like for someone who's standing, God's just saying, maybe to all of you, or maybe to one of you, you don't have to do everything right. You don't have to do everything right. I feel like there, there's even someone close to you who keeps telling you you should be doing better. And that's putting more condemnation on you, more guilt, more shame. But you're free from that. Yeah, maybe you could do better. <laughs> maybe, maybe you do need to pull up your socks. But the point is, is that God doesn't see that. God, God looks at you and you're right with Him. And the more you focus on your rightness with Him, your right standing with Him, you're going to enter into right performance. Like it's, it's going to become a fruit. It's going to become something. You're going to rise up and just start to live in victory easier than you ever did on purpose. Father, I just pray for each person standing right now for a revelation of your love, your goodness for revelation of how free they are, a revelation of how right they are with you. And I just, just command all feelings of guilt, shame and condemnation that the enemy, the system of the law, the, the religious system is trying to put on them. I just say, go in the name of Jesus. You'll stop experiencing the, the fruit of those systems when you start believing the gospel more.
And that might be weird for you because you're like, I believe the gospel. Yes, you do. But are you believing it right now in terms of your freedom from guilt, shame, and condemnation? You may have done something wrong, but God has made you right. You may be feeling wrong, but that feeling isn't in harmony with the gospel because He's made you right. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your ministry right now, deep into individuals' hearts, right now in the name of Jesus. That they would experience just a, a, a freedom like never before. And if these feelings of guilt, shame and condemnation have caused physical illness in anyone's body that is standing right now, I thank you, Father, for freedom from that physical illness in Jesus' name. I command life and strength and health to flow in Jesus' name. Restoration to every part of your body, every organ, every part of your body, right now in Jesus' name. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. That Spirit of God is is, is repairing your physical body. It's bringing life to your physical body. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for freedom, If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch via email at info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page, Grace Life Rondebosch.